You are now entering the Mix You podcast. No credentials required. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode number four of the Mix You podcast. I'm here with my worst enemies, Jeff Sandstrom and Andrew Stone. What's up, fellas? How you doing, Lee? I love hey, it. Hey, brother. All right, we are ready for an action-packed episode four. Uh, a bit later, you're going to hear part two of the episode with Zito. And um, we got a lot of other stuff for you. Uh, last episode, we talked about just being in Tulsa for Mix U T-Town, as well as the Seeds Conference. And Andrew, there's something that happened at Mix U we didn't talk about last time. And that first hour of the day is always everyone's favorite because I feel like they're not expecting it. And yeah. usually we have the Mix You Road Pastor, uh, Sensei Brandon Yip, out with us. Um, <laughs> he was on vacation with his family that week, but there just happens to be a perfect replacement substitution cleanup hitter for Brandon that lives in Tulsa. Yeah. Man, it's cool. And the way you, when we're out doing these uh, mixed shoes, the way you talk about Brandon, uh, your partner in crime, I love that. I feel that's a, a good way to refer to Andy because I think the dynamic between he and I is very similar to you and Brandon. So we asked Andy Chrisman, our uh, our worship pastor uh, here at Church in the Move, to jump in in Brandon's stead and and try to share a few a few remarks. And he nailed it. He did so great, and it's so great because he comes from. And this is why this is such a great moment in the days. These guys are approaching stuff from not a technical viewpoint. It's uh, very much not that. It's more from an artistic, from a spiritual, from a godly standpoint of why we do what we do, why sometimes we try to confuse the the technical side with where we get our identity from when you know our identity is, is actually needs to come from Christ, that kind of thing. So it is. We've had so many comments, people going, Dude, without that first hour, the whole day would have been different. You know, thank you for not jumping right into a bunch of technical stuff. So, we were just gonna. We noted um, Andy shared seven um, a list of seven things that he has put in front of all of the uh, worship teams at all the Church on the Move campuses um, of things that he expects from them, and some of them are are pretty pretty cool. And he says it far more eloquently than we can. But we just thought it was good to recap those and just share them real quick with everybody. Uh, and we will put these out on our, uh, on our feeds so you can see them on Instagram and that kind of thing. But, uh, I'll just, I'll jet through these, um, just so we can kind of say them here, but here's the list in, in the order he presented them in. Um, he expects all of his people to pray like first off, like where they are praying through the situations, they're keeping an attitude of prayer and how they make decisions and, and lead their specific teams he expects everyone to read, uh, to have some outside source, uh, you know, of of input into their lives. Whether that's the Bible, whether that's self help, whether that's leadership, uh, whatever it is, something else to get a different viewpoint on what's going on. He expects them to talk, um, talk to one another, talk to their teams, be vocal. Um, Sometimes in our circles here, you you figure out that, uh, and I've said this to my team before, is the one in the group who doesn't speak during a meeting, I'm going to take that as the voice of disagreement. Talk it out. Talk it out. He, he expects them to pray, read, talk. He wants them to listen. Sometimes the best way to communicate with people is just to listen, listen to one another, let someone talk, and just hear them. He expects all of his people to serve. Where are you serving? Is your job how you're serving? If so, that's not what he's looking for. How are you getting outside yourself and serving in a different capacity? Are you uh, going on a missions trip? Are you going to one of the uh, volunteer days helping the community? Um, or are you using your status as a, as a worship leader or something you know, to get out of that? He expects everyone to struggle, to have struggle through some of this stuff, think through this stuff, have some conflict and, and work through it using some of these other things, praying, reading, talking, listening, serving. And then the last one is rest. He expects all of his people to get adequate rest, not just from a, Hey, you need six or seven hours of sleep every night because you're a singer. 
and because you need to, you know, rest your moneymaker, uh, you need spiritual rest, emotional rest, time away from your job, time away from the decisions, time away from the craziness. Uh, man, he started breaking those seven out to us and to the group at Mixu. And I think all of us were just kind of sitting there going, what the heck? These mean something. These mean something to all of us. And somehow he tied, I don't even know how he crafted it that way, but he tied it into the mostly technical audience that we had about 150 people sitting there who were tech people, majority of them male, but there were some females, but they're mostly tech people. And it all hit home. It all hit home. The thing that I loved about it was how he tied it to what Jesus said was the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So he started with God, then your neighbor, then yourself. So the God part was pray and read. The neighbor is talk, listen, serve. Yep. And, then the, and then yourself is struggle and rest. And that idea of rest is such a huge deal for our community because we're the ones who are executing and preparing and Sunday's coming and new patch sheets and input lists and stage rebuilds and all the stuff that we have to do on a relentless basis. And when Sunday is supposed to be a rest day for most people, you know, our community is, it's a huge work day. And yeah. So it was just a great reminder to all of us to say that rest and Sabbath, it's a command. It's not an option. And right. so if it's not going to be on Sunday, we have to find a time to rest. And I love the story that he told about the pastor who was called in <laughs> to a meeting, sort of an emergency meeting on his Sabbath day. And as the meeting ended, this pastor said to the people who called him in for the so-called emergency, he said, um, so you've had me break uh, one of the Ten Commandments today. So would you like me to cheat on my wife while I'm here, or kill somebody? Because I'm already <laughs> so breaking. Great. I'm already breaking the Ten Commandments. Why don't I just break more of them? And I thought, you know, it's a little bit lighthearted, but man, how true is that for yeah. those of us who work in the world of production? It's like yeah. the Sabbath was not sort of hey, if you feel like it or if you have extra time, take a break. No, it's it's one of the commandments because I think that's where we get the refreshment and we get the decompression and we get the, you know, it just Sabbath. And it's he, so important. He said one thing I just remembered while you were saying that. He said, uh, God is everywhere. God is all powerful. But even in Genesis, when it goes through how he created the earth and the planets and the skies and the and all that, even though he doesn't need to rest because he doesn't get tired, he took time to rest, and he noted uh, that that was he feels that was served that was he did that to serve as an example for humanity. Like even God, who can who we can't even fathom the width and breadth of God, took time to rest after he did all that. That when I was sitting there, I was just kind of going, "Wow, I kind of want to go rest right now." I mean, it was yeah. it was really really powerful moment. So. Um, anyway, we'll, we'll put that list out there. That might mean something to your situation, uh, in, in where you are and to your teams. We'll post that list and, uh, might be something to, to ponder and work through with your teams. Yeah, those are awesome. I'm just not so sure about that first one. <laughs> yeah. Lee, Lee uh, pray. <clears throat> Lee, we need is you it, to buy a Bible too. That would help, is it, I think. Is P R E Y? Pray. Yes. Yeah. It's about hunt, hunting. Yes. Hunting. Oh, okay. I'm in. This is awesome. <laughs> Speaking of rest, uh, Jeff, you've been on some vacation this summer. Yeah. So we I had know. a we had a great end of our summer. Um, we spent some time at the beach. My my mother in law lives on the South Carolina coast, and so my wife and daughter and I were able to go and decompress and have some great time together. The biggest problem for me though is coming into the fall. I I needed that rest because. I have a daughter who's going into middle school and I'm really kind of panicking right now. And so um, I've seen a junior higher. I've seen wow. eight, yeah, I've seen eighth grade boys. Um, I was an eighth grade boy. I'm a little <laughs> bit petrified right now. They're all jerks. All they're all jerks. Well, the good news is you can get your uh, concealed carry permit in Georgia a lot easier than you can in California. <laughs> that's right i have some friends who are on standby ready to sit on my porch and clean their guns while uh 
while the boys come around. But no, she's a great kid, and we we had a great summer, and so we're excited for for a great year. Okay, on a serious note, all you tech guys out there that have been working your tails off all summer on vacation Bible schools and student camps, you got a couple weeks of summer left, and you don't have a vacation planned. You either go by yourself, go with your friends, yeah. take your wife, go with some family, do something, get out and use your vacation. No one can use your vacation but you. Go, go, go. And listen, the church isn't going to burn down in a weekend. Get out and of it there. It takes two, two weekends to it burn down. It takes two weekends for it to burn down. You can certainly be gone for <laughs> one of them. Get out of there, man. Come on. Well, believe it or not, we've reached the time in the podcast where... It's time to step on the soapbox. Oh, wow. Here it is. Here we go. (laughs) Once again. (laughs) Whose turn is it on the soapbox? Well, whose turn is it? I think it's always your turn, isn't it? We can all kind of tackle this one because this is a pretty um, sore spot for all of us. So why don't you set up the story, Lee, and then we can all kind of chime in. That's good. Okay. Well, this one definitely stems from our episode three soapbox, the famous, infamous Facebook group, Church Sound Media Techs. So there was a post on there a few weeks ago. Someone posted a picture of a sign in the lobby about earplugs. And it basically said, hey, some like it loud, some don't. Take some earplugs on us. Have a nice day. I don't know. I butchered it, no. but that was the spirit of it. I think it said, we like it loud, but some people don't. Some don't. Yeah. Oh, great. Okay. So Even I better. commented on there. Just a statement. I didn't say anything else. All I said was, hey, welcome to our restaurant. Here's a vomit bag just in case you don't like our food. <laughs> so, I mean, it, I, I mean, I was being serious. It just happened to be really funny. Um, but I actually stole that, stole that quote from a friend of mine. It's not original. But uh, let's talk about that. I know you guys have had scenarios at Church on the Move where yeah. you've had some rogue earplugs show up. Dude. Man, listen, I've had people in the audience, because here's the deal. So set the table real quick. We went from ferns on stage, flags of the nations in the room, rotating globe, you know, all of that stuff, white sheetrock walls, fluorescent lights. We went from that, and it feels like it was overnight. It wasn't, but it feels like overnight we went to like, you know, concert style rock thing. Turned it up a wee bit, all that. So, man, we had people showing up with, like, shooting muffs, wearing them, like, (laughs) glaring up at the sound booth and all that. And I'm chuckling, just going, that's awesome. Do you think that hurts me? Like, you look like an idiot. What are you doing with shooting muffs in church? But that's how, I mean, those are the, that's kind of where it started. Well, man, as we got into it, I, I, uh. I ordered earplugs. We had a meeting. We're like, you know, we ought to have them on hand if somebody wants them. All right. That's cool. So I found some cool earplugs that I thought would work and ordered a gross of them. I mean, like, dude, I'm going to order like 10,000 earplugs and I'm never going to have to do this again. Like, this is, this is awesome. Man, in like two weeks, there's no earplugs. And somebody is calling <laughs> me going, like, sir, I got a call in my office saying, dude, uh, yeah, are you on the earplug thing? And I'm like, what? What earplug thing? I mean, to me, it's a dead issue. Oh yeah, we're out. And I'm like, holy crap! What are you talking about? We're out. <laughs> that that means every single person in the church. And then I'm going, hold it. That means every single person in the church. Ha- I look around. The ushers think that it's a uh, like a like a communion element. Every single person is supposed to have one. They've got their pockets loaded. They're going back for more. They're they're opening new boxes, walking down the aisle, holding them up like like an airline attendant uh, giving away headphones. Hey, did you get your earplugs? Hey, did you get your? And I'm like, oh my word, what have we created? So all that to say, come to church on the move. There are no earplugs. Like you can, dude. I, just deal with I, it. I'm not lying. That exact thing happened to us. We ordered a few thousand of them, and then in two weeks we had to reorder. And I'm going, what the heck's going on? Yeah. And then I go outside and just happen to be walking in. I wasn't like investigating. And then I get handed a pair of earplugs. I'm like, (laughs) no, you are not. And we totally had a guy on staff. He's no longer with us. (laughs) Um, He was. He went rogue. 
and had an agenda and started passing earplugs out to everybody like they were mints at a restaurant. Yeah. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> Dude, it is, uh, it was, it, it, it kind of backfired. The whole thing backfired. But you know, here's the deal. You, if you're going to go make everybody have earplugs, you're setting them up to complain and to not accept what you're doing. You're setting them up. Oh, well, if they're making me have earplugs, then it's obviously too loud. Before you've ever played a song, before you've ever yeah. done a thing. The problem for us was in the service recap meeting, the usher was saying, yeah, in the 945 service, we passed out 250 pairs of earplugs. <laughs> and I'm going, there's no way. No like way. I would be able to look around and see orange balls in everyone's ears. Like right. you would notice that, right? Right. So then, you know, you find out, oh, they're passing them out at the freaking doors. Unbelievable. Our guys were, they thought it was, uh, it, well, it was something to do because our ushers right. have kind of transferred over the years from being Gestapo ushers to like the gentler, nicer, kinder ushers. But all of yeah. a sudden they're like, ooh, hold it. You mean everybody in the room is supposed to have one of these? All right, let's get these. Let's do it. And it was like a challenge. And I'm sitting there in the booth going, oh my word, we, what have we created? So it became one of those of, I think that's one that we're just going to dump and not, not ever redo again. So do speaking you, of Gestapo, <laughs> I, I think this may make some other people feel uh, better about their church. Cause our churches certainly don't have it all together, folks. No, first of all, not at all. But our, um, our parking lot team, you know, the people that wear the orange vests and they guide traffic in, they tend to be a little spicy sometimes. <laughs> And are or really particular about the one-way streets, but they're they name themselves the Road Warriors. <laughs> what? They they've been they've called themselves that for like twenty-five years or whatever. So it's just stuck. But all I think about is the old WWF tag team, yeah, duo, the Road Warriors. When I think of that, you've got a motorcycle gang running your parking lot. <laughs> Yeah, and they will get pissed if you don't drive the right way. <laughs> Dude, the funny. next time I'm out there, I am totally like going to go backwards on the one-way streets and stuff. I'm doing it. Yeah, good it's, luck. Now there's, it's a challenge. There's one-way spikes they stole from Hertz. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do right. not back up. Do not back up. We'll show you. Come to our church and we'll Severe tire tires. damage. <laughs> yeah. For the person out there who says, okay, that's funny about the earplugs but we do get complaints or yeah. the spirit of the earplugs is really what we need to talk about, not the actual practice. Cause putting a sign up and basically making people think they need earplugs is not the way to do it. How do we handle loudness? How do we talk about loudness in a reasonable way so that we can have an intelligent conversation? Because so many times I get questions all the time from guys who say, how loud is too loud? How do you deal with complaints? What is this about? So let's take a few minutes and just sort of have a healthy conversation about perceived volume, volume levels, you know, what to do with the complainer. Do you have earplugs under the desk in case somebody wants them? That kind of thing. Because I think there is a way to talk about this that can be helpful. I think their approach was not helpful, but there is a way to handle it that's good. Yeah, a couple of things. So um, first of all, when we talk about loudness and DB levels, I always stay far away from that conversation, especially on the internet, because you don't have anything to compare it to. You're not in the room. You don't know what the EQ or what the spectral balance of the mix is. So if somebody says, well, we have to run it at 92, because as soon as it hits 93, you got people running out the building. And then you have, you know, uh, Stone, you guys are in over 100. And people hear that, and if they've never been in your room, they just want to go tell their church, well, Elevation runs at 105 and Church on the Move is at 100 and Bayside's at 99. Yeah. Well, the problem is if you've never been in those rooms to know what that sounds like, it's it's a waste of air to even talk about it. But at MixU, uh, selfless plug, we actually can talk about it because there's three dudes mixing three different bands with a three different sp- balances three different responses and it's three different numbers but it all feels about the same volume it's the coolest thing to watch so when stone is mixing and he hits the big part of the 72 bpm power ballad and it says 105 it feels about the same as that when i do it and it hits a hundred 
Right. And when Jeff does it and it hits 102 or 90 or whatever, it doesn't matter because yeah. of the way that it's mixed, where the vocal sets in the mix, yep. you know, all those things. And then everyone in the room is like, oh, my gosh, there's a six, seven, sometimes eight dB difference from what the meter says. But I'm feeling about the same thing. So stop comparing other churches and what other people are doing to what you should be doing. You have to figure out what works for your church and just go with it and, and like ignore everything else. That's really the best advice I can give. And That's great. Most, most places you walk into, those meters haven't been calibrated in years. Right. I mean, no kidding. I mean, you, you, th- I walked into a place the other day and they're like, yeah, they had the exact same microphone and, and setup that I had that I carry with me. And we go in and it's like, well, yours is eight dB different than mine. Well, I know I just calibrated mine and it's dead on. We go and we calibrate theirs and all of a sudden they match. And you're like, holy crap, dude, you've been trying to mix to a meter and it wasn't even accurate. So you've been, you've been chasing your tail with unbelievable frustration why, while a lead usher is staring over your shoulder at this meter. I would encourage you guys, like we put our meter in a place where very few people can even see it. It's a reference for me. It's a tool for me. It's a tool for our staff guys to use when they're mixing so they have a relative reference of what's going on in the room. Done. Using yeah. it as a legalistic tool to figure out where to go is wrong. Man, get your pastor, whoever's in charge, to go, where does it feel good? Tell me where it feels good. And mix at it. And That's exactly right. And use your ears. Does it feel right? That's your job. Use That's your good. ears and make it right. Use the meter as a tool. That's what it was designed for. That's good. And I think... You know, it's important to remember that we can help educate people. I think, you know, the OSHA standard is about length of exposure, not yeah. not about, you know, peaks in the level. And so we're not going to be exposing people to 110 dB for two hours. This is not an arena concert. Most worship sets are 15 to 20 minutes, and the music that we use for worship these days is so dynamic that we're not going to have prolonged exposure problems. Right. Now, Lee, talk about Trend for a second, because I know you guys use Trend software. And for the guys who aren't familiar with that, I think that's a great tool because you have a reference point that you can refer people to that is a much more reasonable thing than just a random number. Yeah. Uh, first of all, uh, Trend, please send your future sponsorship money to P.O. Box 1073. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so we use a software called Trend, and it measures peaks. It also measures exposure over time. You can set uh, automatic start times. It logs everything, sends it to an email, sets reports. It, uh, as far as the exposure goes, it even tells you how much time you have left at certain volumes and how loud you can actually sit, uh, have another peak at. Like it's, It does a ton of different stuff. There's like a uh, standard level, I'm not sure what it's called, and uh, like a premium level. There's two different tiers, uh, so you can look at that. If you just Google Trend SPL, I think their website's called HowLoudIsIt.com. You can see all that stuff, but it's great. It's a we great put one resource. at every campus. We put one at every campus because, like Andrew was saying, it's a tool to keep us accountable right. to what leadership has helped us set. So we didn't throw out an arbitrary number in a meeting and say, well, let's be at 96. We got a bunch of people together, not musicians and not audio engineers. We got soccer moms and senior citizens and teenagers and that people that we trust and said, hey, how's this volume? And once you had multiple weeks and multiple sessions of that, and we kind of set the number, then the technical people can go, okay, we need to shoot for a time-weighted average at the end of the service of around 94 in this room. And in this room, it needs to be 92. And in this room, and it's different everywhere because the band's doing something different in this room, and this room's acoustics are different, and so on and so forth. That's great. So I think that's, that's a way to have a conversation that's a lot more helpful. And I think that's what we want to do is to provide helpful tools, not just arbitrary numbers that the internet can suddenly be the grand arbiter of all things OSHA. It's ridiculous. So I hope that's helpful. We try to use humor and sarcasm to make a point. No offense to the guys who posted it, but it was dumb. Okay, moving on. (laughs) (laughs) We have 
part two of an amazing conversation that we started last time with Zito. And he's going to talk about some stuff in this portion of the interview that I think you're all really going to love. So here's our second part of our interview with the one and only Zito. Mix You Interview, featuring Zito, part two. He may not be as cute as Ariana Grande, but he sure does make a mean drum mix. So what, uh, like along a little bit what Jeff was saying, like, I know you're not mixing a lot right now, but when you are mixing or your last tour you were mixing, are you doing anything totally out of the box, like something crazy? The two things, the the two things that have changed my mixing more than anything else, um, is multiband compression and dynamic EQ. And for a lot of people, those are concepts that are over their heads and it's confusing. It's to understand the differences between them and how they work and what they do. But, um, I, 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 could, I couldn't mix a show and put my name on it and say this is what I would say is a Zito mix without those tools. They have changed my approach more than anything else. And the more I understand them, the more I experiment with them, the more um, the better results I feel like I have uh, as an engineer. Okay, so most people put those on vocals and it's really easy to get great results there. Are you doing anywhere else? Uh, everywhere. I mean, it's crazy. Like even drums? Oh, yeah. I, I do them on uh, my... So, kick drum, I'm doing multiband compression. I'm using it to uh, to try to tame some of the mids without just totally hacking them out with an EQ. Um, on the snare drum, because I'm using dynamic EQ, uh, I've stopped gating my snare drums completely. And I'm using dynamic EQ to sort of act as a gate because you're expanding just the frequencies that you want when the instruments are hit allows for a a much smoother response um, and uh, more controlled dynamic range but you're not having to deal with the gate so i have two dynamic filters on my uh on my snare drum boosting uh the uh you know 4k ish 5k kind of snap out of the snare and then some body one 160 to 200 and those are pretty steep 8 db 9 db sometimes even 10 db um boost that are only being triggered when the snare is being hit and it's amazing uh the transparency you can get out of the drum without hearing those artifacts of the gate and fighting that sort of thing at that point you're using it as an expander rather than a compressor yeah. at that point yeah absolutely that's cool because okay so i'll do that i'll I'll put a shelf on the snare drum to get the sizzle out of it, but then I end up not needing a hi-hat mic because you start getting a hi-hat. So is that kind of what you're talking about? Like, No, no, the, exactly the opposite. The thing is because you're doing it as a di- dynamic EQ and because you're only triggering it when the snare drum is being hit, um, you're not having to deal with the bleed from the hi-hat. So Yeah, that's we're saying the same things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because I end up just turning the hi-hat mic off and it's frustrating because... I'm like, right. I'm getting so much hi-hat and then I mute the snare drum and the hi-hat goes away. I'm like, oh, yeah, no, no, exa- yeah, exactly. So I, I, I do a lot of that. I mean, I do it on the bass guitar. I do it on electric guitars. Um, you almost have to do it on uh, a vocal to get it to sit where you want. Uh, come yeah. that proximity effect. You know, a lot of guys struggle with that whole thing and pulling out that low end and then somebody backs up off of a microphone and it sounds thin and tinny. And it was actually interesting. One of the experiments we did um, in uh, in Taiwan was we experimented with multiband compression and setting the filters to match the proximity effect of a 58, and then sort of looked at how we could combat the proximity effect. And you could actually get it exactly on to where, as you were backing off of it where you couldn't perceive that difference. And so you would never hear it get really thin when you walked away because you weren't wow. actually cutting it out of the microphone. You were just compressing those frequencies when they were active. And, yeah. and we actually did it as a blind test. And when we compared the results of what we felt was flat versus what we were doing, it, it was almost identical to what was happening with the proximity effect. And it, it was like light bulbs going off in everybody's head. It was really a cool uh, moment for us. That's really cool. So awesome. for a church guy, here's a great, great tip. So if you have a singer who doesn't 
have great microphone technique and you want to encourage them to improve that technique by saying, eat the mic, eat the mic, eat the mic, but they can't because when they do, they either get plosives and proximity effect or they get too yeah. much of themselves in their ears or in their wedge. Multiband compression is a great way to encourage better technique because when it is closer, proximity effect doesn't have some of the negative effects and then you can get a better source because they're not constantly just yep. you know blowing the mic eight inches out of their face so it's so as a waves artist which i know you are are you mostly using yep. c6 for that or what's your tool of choice uh, yeah yeah absolutely the c6 so the c6 is a bit of um an enigma so let me touch real quick on um, on the differences between the two so people can understand it. With a multi-band compressor, a signal will come into the unit and it's actually being separated by a set of filters. And those filters on some units are fixed frequencies and on other units can be adjustable. But basically, it, the signal comes in and they're separated. And let's just say it's a typical three-way where we have a low band, a mid band, and a high band. And so those signals are taken, they come in, they're separated out by those filters, and then they are individually processed um, with their dynamic range, you know, compression or expansion, whatever the case may be. We're talking about multiband compression, so in that case it would be strictly compression. And then from that point, they are, each will have individual gain control, just like a normal compressor would. And then from that point, those three individual sources are summed together and that's how multiband compressor works. With a dynamic EQ, there is no summing. All frequencies are sent the same signal and they're adjusted individually by each range. And so you don't have that summing that takes place afterwards. The other side of that is that with a multiband compressor, each band is only affected because the filter set comes first, each band is only affected by its frequency range. So if you have it set where it's, let's say, 200 and down is your low band, 200 to 1K is your mid band, and 1K and up is your high band, each of those, each of those ranges, the compression for those are only affected by that because it sees the filters first. When you're looking at a uh, dynamic EQ, that it doesn't work the same way. Every freak, every filter will see all frequencies the same way an EQ does. They're not being separated out. So a high shelf, or like we were talking about earlier, where we're boosting the top end with a dynamic EQ, is actually responding to a full band signal. It's responding to the entire bandwidth of the signal because it's never being separated out. There's no point where the filter is being told I'm only working from 1K and above, like in a multiband circuit. What's different about the, um, the C6 is that you have the ability to do both. There is a um, mode on the C6, which is wide, called wide, where it functions like a dynamic EQ, where the entire spectrum will affect any given band. So for instance, if you have a high shelf that's set at 5K and above and you see a 1K tone, it will still affect it. And then there's a split mode where if you see a 1K tone, it wouldn't be affecting 5K in the way that it responds. So the C6 functions as both a dynamic EQ or a multiband compressor depending on its application. So that is something that I will use in understanding the difference can help you achieve different results and you would use different things at different times. Uh, and then uh, of course, I'm a Digico guy. Everybody that has kind of followed me knows that. And so it's one of the reasons I love the Digicos is they have multi-band compressors on every channel. I learned something. That's a, that's great. Thanks. <laughs> I really didn't know. So like I knew C6 was a multi-band compressor, but I didn't know that the, the floating bands, which is what I, almost only used sometimes. Mm -hmm. That's really the dynamic EQ section. Correct. Yeah. But, however, they would only respond that way when it's set in in wide mode. Otherwise, it's it's still a multi-band compressor um, per rating as a dynamic EQ. It, it's a complete enigma. There's no other unit hardware or software that does what the, C, the C6 does in, in yeah. that facet. Yeah. Well, Stone, you've been mostly silent, so... 
what do you what do you have to i think we lost him i think his stone fell asleep he fell asleep <laughs> no i'm taking it in i'm taking it in um i love how you're talking about how you do that on the drums i'm a drum guy and uh that's a so tell that same technique you're talking about uh, how does that help you on the tom things you know the toms every time you get to the toms you're yeah. like Let's chop 500 hertz and just make this all happen. I do the exact blah, blah, blah. same How approach. does that? Especially times. Uh, because here's the thing: when everybody does the same thing, you, you carve out the mid band. You know, you carve out the mids because it sounds has too much paper, and then you boost the top end, and then you add some body on the low end. And everybody's Tommy Q uh, looks the same way. But but then what happens is you lose sort of the nuances of, of the dynamics of a player. And when somebody will, you lose that. Sometimes you need some of that back in it. When somebody hits the drum a little less hard and they're playing dynamically, you want some of that 500 back in there. Uh, you maybe don't want as much of the, of the top end crack out of it. And so the, if I can get away with it with a drummer, I'll do the same thing with the snare. I, I won't put uh, gates on it. I'll do the same thing where I'm using, I do a real hefty mid band compression uh, on there. Um, that's from basically, let's say 300, maybe 400 up to 1.5, 2K, somewhere in there and compress the crud out of it. I mean, 10 dB to one, 15 EB to one. And so when somebody really lays into it, it's cutting that out and gets you that nice round tom sound. I'll boost the top end, that 5K thing. Cause then you're not getting all that cymbal stuff. Every drummer has those cymbals floating over their toms and that's always a fight that we have to go through trying to keep those out. And you don't tend to fight that so much. And then you just have to work with your attack and release so that you're not getting a ton of that cymbal bleeding there. It's amazing the results we can get out of that. And don't go to the gate as your default and don't go to your EQ as the default. That, man. That's interesting right there. I love that. I love that that's a so, – so then when they're playing like at a quarter volume or, or doing the, the yeah. nuanced song, you've actually got yeah. – I mean, most, you can, you yeah, because most people think of it in useful. terms of a way to tame like a vocal, but taking it sort of across the band to – apply to every instrument I, man what a there, there's my new tom project that's that's really cool yeah and the other thing is if you really i think we kind of cheat as engineers um it, with our with our we have our default mics and we have our default placement but i really try to go in and move those mics even a couple inches here a couple inches there getting the area of maximum rejection right into a symbol and even if you're getting two or three db out of it when you start compressing or expanding things that's a huge difference right oh yeah so you got to take the time to do that. I'm very particular about my snare mic being under the hi hat, and uh, sometimes I'll even separate my 57 and make it a right angle so I get again the area of maximum rejection right underneath the hi hat. The tom mics move them around the, the drum so that they're underneath the cymbal, and uh, that stuff all adds up a little bit here, a little bit there. When you jump from a from one band to another, do you uh, you know you talked about I, I really resonated with the way you lay out your desk, lay out the console, because it's just even if you save half a second on your thought process, you know whether it's a country band or a rock band or whatever, it's it's cool. But when you still when you go jump from band to band, do you tend to stick with the same? Let's just stick with drums for a minute. Do you do you tend to start with the same kind of mic selection? Yeah. It- with only a few exceptions. If it were something real open and maybe jazzy, I might do something one way. And if it was something maybe metal, I would do something a bit more extreme. But outside of that, outside of like the real extremes, I definitely start with the same approach. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, because it kind of becomes part of your workflow at that point. Like a tool. Like Yeah, absolutely. It's, and, and part of your sound. So what, um, what's inspiring you these days? Like what, where do you go for inspiration on 
you know, just not getting stuck in a rut or a, an approach, you know, how do you keep it fresh in terms of wh whether it's music you listen to or hobbies or other things like, how do you, where do you go for inspiration? Well, I learned a lot from watching other engineers and uh, it's always very humbling. I, um, my friend Chris Rabel mixes, uh, he's mixing Bruno Mars now. And I saw him at, um, uh, we did a gig together last November or whatever. He was with Bruno and we were doing something in LA. He was doing his line check and I was just hanging out with him as he was doing his line check, kind of seeing what he was doing. He got to line checking his overheads and I was like, holy, what, what are you, it was the I was flabbergasted, completely speechless. Listening to his overhead mics, it's just stinking overhead mics. And to me, overhead mics are kind of always a throwaway. You throw some 414s up there and you call it a day and they're sizzly and you sort of do the thing. And I just was blown away at, um, at his overheads. And I thought, I've been failing at life. <laughs> I, I'm a horrible engineer. I wanted to quit right then and there. Like that, to, it, it blew me away. I didn't think overheads could sound like that. And so that sent me on a quest of inspiration um, to be having perfecting the overhead sound. So what was different and, about uh, it? I mean, was it were the were the overheads well, it started, just getting a picture of the kit rather than just the symbols, or what? Like, what was different about it? It was, the, made you it go, was oh that, but it was also it was also the uh, the body. The thing is, a lot of times people equate symbols. I mean, I'll be the first to tell you, as a front house engineer, I hate symbols. If I had it my way, no drummer would ever have symbols on their kit. I'm just thinking, <laughs> I hate them. But they're kind of a reality of, of, of what we have to deal with. But with that mentality, you know, even with 414s, they're sparkly and they're high. And, and you just, they're always hard to get that balance of all of a sudden the symbol just is either piercing or it's not there and they're missing in the mix and they don't give you an accurate picture of sort of the nuances of a symbol. And it's funny to me, and, and Lee, you know, you and I have been in the same boat, actually, and Jeff, you too, we've been in the same boat where drummers are flying. And we're trying to do these shows and they carry their snare and their cymbals. And, and you, could, you could sell me on the snare. And then I would always think, man, cymbals, like, really? Are you kidding me? I spend most of my time trying to get the cymbals out of everything. I don't really care about the cymbals. The quieter, the better. And that's really sort of changed my, um, that had changed my mentality. And the, the key just told me flat out, I was like, yeah, it's these 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 mics. They're Mojave. It's changed my life. And I was like, okay, really? And so I reached out to my buddy Pooch. He's like, dude, uh, what are you using for overhead mics? He goes, oh, there's only one option. It's these Mojaves. You wouldn't believe what they can do. And I was like, okay. So I went and bought a bunch of these Mojaves, started putting them up, and it was like, like mind blown it became a joke on even with my uh with my crew anything that went wrong somebody'd be like put a mojave on it <laughs> like so but it was just stunning so i've taken a lot of inspiration from that um okay hold then, on don't give me don't give me bs about just putting a microphone on something makes it sound awesome like there's other stuff involved uh, yeah it's called a high pass filter and a low pass <laughs> filter it, for real it, uh, oh, yeah, and that's another thing. Man, filters, you should start with your gain, your high-pass filter, and not enough people use low-pass filters, but I have low-pass filters all over my mix. I mean, everywhere, even 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 vocals. Lead vocal, um, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I couldn't no do it No one needs 18K. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's just going to be the first thing to feed I can't even hear 18K. <laughs> I can't hear anything about 4K. Are you kidding me? <laughs> exactly. I've been mixing rock and roll for a long time. I'm old. Yeah. Yeah. The, so, but for real, those, those mics with the filter set, I'm hardly doing anything to them. They just, they have a tack and presence and body and they make a symbol sound like a symbol and they're not harsh and they're natural. It's, it's stunning. I, I, I can't believe it. Uh, and then the other inspiration was... I have been, we've been searching for uh, the perfect acoustic sound. And uh, that has been a rabbit hole, uh, an absolute rabbit hole. But 
have been coming up with some really cool things and getting some really cool um, results out of that kind of in that quest for the quote unquote perfect uh, acoustic sound. Any any tips in things that you've learned or changed for the listeners who might uh, have to deal with somebody downstage center playing an acoustic every week in their services like a, cr- a crappy plastic back ovation out of tune acoustic <laughs> uh yeah so um hold on i'm looking it up right now um we started testing these units out made by lr bags called the anthem and i want to say we're using the anthem uh two and we were so impressed with it uh that we switched every guitar in our arsenal over to these Anthem systems. Uh, and that's no small feat with an A, B, and a C rate. We're talking 25 or 30 acoustics that we switched over to these systems, which those are um, combination of a, of, of a bridge pickup with a mic that you can uh, blend in. And uh, the results have been truly, uh, truly stunning. Uh, what we've been able to get out of those it, it's the best. The only thing that's been better than that is a double miking scenario where we're using an underbridge uh, pickup in combination with some sort of um, small condenser microphone. They do that a lot on uh, James Taylor. They do that. They have a uh, like a lav mic that they might not and blend that in and have two separate units. The LR bag system, the Anthem, you have to blend it and it's one signal. But that's the closest thing we found is. It's been pretty amazing. Okay, a couple uh, questions to fire at you. I'll put you in the hot seat. Okay. Uh, best front of house mix you've ever heard? Oh, man. I should be able to. Um... What were you mixing Cutlass back in 2000? And... <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's that's uh, embarrassing. Um, I've heard a lot, of, a lot of great mix engineers. I, I was impressed with uh, Pete Kepler mixing Katy Perry. That sounded really great. Uh, and Pete Kettler actually also missing, uh, mixing Nine Inch Nails. That was phenomenal. Um, and then Toby Francis, uh, who's a buddy of mine, mixing um, uh, Matchbox 20. Um, guitars. He changed my entire life with guitars. I don't like a single guitar anymore. Uh, everything is with Palmer's. Palmer, Almost, yeah. Yeah, no exception. So I just heard him mix the Ariana show. Yeah. And he was doing something funny. Well, not funny. I mean, it makes sense, I guess. He was running her vocal through a lake processor mm-hmm. for the Mesa EQ. Yep. But then he had three versions of it because the catwalk, how long was that catwalk? Like 150 feet long yeah, or something? Yeah, yeah, over 100 feet. And then it teed out. So she was directly in front of the PA, you know, 100, 100 feet, 75 feet in front of the PA. So he had like a bright vocal, which would be like on stage, I guess, yep. a medium, dark, and a dark depending yep. on where she was. So he had three yep. favors. Yep. I never thought about doing that. I never thought about doing that either, but that's why he's getting the big bucks. And, <laughs> and I'm, I'm up at 11, 13 at night talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Well, man, thanks for doing this. Yeah. Appreciate yeah, you. Of course. So great. Thank you so much. Yeah. Of course. So, uh, one last question. Uh, earlier in your career you went in lots of uh small and large churches all over america and got to interface with production guys if you could speak to all of those guys Mm. right now if they were all listening what would you tell them uh first of all none of us know everything so go into everything with an open attitude Uh, you can learn something and you can probably teach something um don't be threatened by anybody else coming in you can if you go in with that same mindset that you can always learn something every day and you have something that you can share. There's a lot of, you know, back to early conversation of sort of fear. And so this self-preservation thing of not, of being found out or just to heck with all that, take the opportunity learn from other folks. Uh, Sometimes you sit there and watch people come in and they think they know everything and they're going to stumble and fall and you can be there to help them out along the way. Sometimes they're just determined to do that. Nothing you can do can save them. And that's okay too. You got to sometimes let it happen. But sometimes if you can open yourself up and and be a little bit less, um, not feed into that fear, you can really uh, walk away learning something. There's, you don't need to be threatened by people, uh, you know, coming in. Well said, my friend. Well, man, thank you so much for giving us your time tonight. It was, I I know it's late and you're super busy, but we just so appreciate 
just the wisdom and your heart for um, being so open-handed and sharing your knowledge, um, whether Taiwanese or not. So, yeah, look me up on Facebook. Uh, I don't have any uh, of those other social things that you guys do, but uh, you can look me up Zito Zito on Facebook. Hit me up. Facebook friend request me. We can be friends forever. And uh, uh, <laughs> signing off here, Zito, I just got to thank you for introducing me to Marty, the balloon guy. Oh man. Did Marty change your life or what? He did change my life. I've been telling stories about this guy for eight days now or however long it's been. Uh, well, it's a man that takes his crap very serious. You know, his job every night is to blow up 400 pink balloons and he does it well. Um, and he knows it's his role in life. And he, and, and he got a chance to go to the big leagues when he was in um, L.A. And he blew up a thousand balloons and, and there were tears shed. Kids cried. If your job is a balloon blower, then you just need to all the way through you need to own it so this guy <laughs> uh I, I meet this guy and he tells me these stories for hours in the production office and then tells me his job is to literally just what he said it's it was like 400 balloons that dropped from the ceiling and he goes are you staying for the balloons and i'm like oh, marty of course i'm staying for the balloons and he goes let me get you a set list he runs out of the room he comes back like three minutes later brings me a set list and at the very bottom of the set list there's one song and it's got a balloon like a little piece of art beside Logo, it yeah. and i'm like okay i now i now have to stay here till 11 o'clock at night <laughs> And my God, I stayed until the balloons dropped till the very end. But it brought a tear to your eye. You, you know, it a did. man that takes pride in his, his job like that. It did. It was awesome. There's a YouTube video about this guy. He he played it for me. Balloon about, Guru. Look him up balloon, on YouTube. The Balloon Guru. The Balloon Guru. I love it. So yeah. That's for everybody. So Change awesome. your life. I feel like I need a catchphrase. You guys need some sort of like sign off like, mix you forever. Maybe it's. Maybe it's the balloon guru. <laughs> for <Sorry>. life. <laughs> <laughs> All right, lads. Thanks for the time. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you, buddy. All right. Thanks a lot, man. Always see good you to later. see you. Thanks. All right. Good night. Bye. Okay, we are back. That is the end of our interview with Zito. We will definitely have him back in the future. Zito, we love you. Thank you so much for being a part of this. Yeah. And there is a special gift coming your way, my friend. <laughs> um, okay, so I want to follow up on some stuff that Zito talked about, and it's related to the Seeds Conference. So I haven't talked to you about this yet, Andrew, but I was there. I didn't come to any rehearsals. This is the first Seeds Conference. I didn't go to any rehearsal. Well, because you guys oh, did it right. the week before. That's right. But so I'm just sitting there in the first session knowing nothing, which was pretty cool. It was like watching a movie for the first time, you know, not <laughs> right. knowing what's going to happen. And yeah, we were busy. We didn't even talk about anything. Yeah, that's right. Right. So as soon as the band started, the first thing I noticed was, well, once the second song started, I guess, the drums. Your drum mix was different than I'd ever heard it for a couple different reasons. The toms were a bit more hi-fi for sure. The <laughs> snare was a little bit snappier. Um, the kit mix of the drum cymbals, like all that stuff was driving a little different. Like, talk to me. What'd you do? Man, dude, I seriously, I sat here while we were interviewing Zito and I went, what the heck? This is cool. He mentioned uh, about these Mojave mics and he, and he, he was kind of cavalier about it, but he was just, he said a few things like, uh, some of the guys were using them and just like, dude, the, put them on the drums, put them across the drums. And like, it's, you know, it's unreal. It's like drums. Like you've never heard. Well, if you've followed me at all, you know that I'm a drum freak. I play drums most of my life. So I really, I really dial in. That really gets me going on just how to get, make drums sound great. I love that. I spent years playing and now I get to spend a lot of years making other players sound good. It's, it's just cool for me. It's, it's a high point. So I'm like, Hmm, that's cool. So one of the sponsors uh, that helps us do the mix you events, uh, Mike rentals.com. I just approached him and said, could you score me a set of those Mojave mics? And I just looked on their website and I mean, there's like six models I mean, there's just not that many. And I just picked which ones I thought I would want and had him get him. Didn't say a word to anybody. So I'm like, I talk so crappy about using drum overheads. I hate drum overheads, right? 
Like you, that was mm-hmm. like the last thing you'd see me ever do. Right. Got him, put him up, put him in a stereo pair right above the kit, just centered right above the kit. Didn't do anything to them. In fact, I had the other guys set them up. Jesse got them all going. I walked into rehearsal late the first night they were set up and I literally just turned them up. They're just coming up on a stereo channel. All I did was turn them up. No EQ, no high pass filter, no low pass filter, no compression, nothing. And I just sat there with my mouth open going, what the crap is going on here? It just added this, this sizzle. I don't even know if it's a sizzle. It added this air thing to the entire kit. Exactly like he described in the interview. And it just, it just opened up the drum kit. So I guess my approach to overheads was always, oh, I'm using them for cymbal mics, which I, that's why I hated them so much because that's, that's a terrible way to mic cymbals. I want individual control of cymbals. So I under mic him, you know, several of us do that. It's great. I didn't change anything about any of that. I didn't change the EQ and the toms. I didn't change the, I mean, all the cymbals have under mics on them, kick drum S2, all of it's still like it was. All I did was add those two microphones above. Now, what I did is over a couple of weekends leading up to the conference, um, or actually, I don't think I had that much time. I think I was actually in rehearsals for the conference and I just kind of started messing around. I did end up compressing those quite a bit. So anytime a high transient, like a big, huge, double crash hit or, or a, a, a really huge snare hit or something would happen. It would kind of level it out. And that let me bring the presence of the whole thing even hotter, bro. What you heard in the room was what those added to what I already thought was a killer, killer drum sound. So you're saying your normal kit that you were doing everything the same. Yep. It's just those mics. I added them. That's crazy because it totally sounded like, oh, I changed my approach completely. Yes. That's, and that's, that's why I wanted to try them. And so I didn't want to invest in them. That's why I asked if I could do a demo. And so I had the demo for, I guess, two weeks. And, uh, you know, the owner of Micronals was like, hey, those need to go back. And I was traveling somewhere and he was texting me and he's like, how could I, could someone get those packed up? And, and I just said, no, no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> he's just like, he's texting like, uh, I'm confused. Why are you being so obstinate? And I said, just send me an invoice. It's fine. Can we just talk about something else? Like, Consider I'm not, them sold. Yeah, yeah, they're done. Just what do we need to pay for them? And okay, cool. So uh, Mojave, you send your sponsorship money to yes. the PO Box LA2A. Thanks. <laughs> uh, anyway, well, that's I would, cool because it's, it's, cool. it's like you're getting a picture of the kit as a whole in a yeah. different way and kind of it's almost like room mics in a studio where it's like yeah it's just a different flavor of the whole kit so as long as it's as, as long as it's in phase it's like this is a picture of what you would hear if you were standing in front of right. this kit yeah and the thing about it is the way the mic hears it so when i cue those up and listen to them in my near fields um which are just really flat response and i use them all the time instead of headphones um when I use headphones, I feel like it blows my ears out a little bit and I, I don't like going back and forth. But so when I pull those up, I feel like I'm floating a few feet above the kit and I'm hearing the kit. I'm talking kick drum, floor toms, everything. That's cool. And so if I add that in and it's in phase, you said phase is great and it's delayed correctly and it's all good. You get the result you hear on seeds. So, or that Lee heard at seeds. So if you've looked at any of the stuff, if you jumped online, Vimeo, all the seed stuff is on there and you could just go listen to the drums. I mean, discard all the other crap. Who cares? Just listen to the drums because that's, they really do sound unbelievable. And, and I, I give a lot of credit to, to jumping in on, on using something that I learned from our very own podcast. So, well, that's awesome. Well, Hey guys, you have come to the end of our fourth episode of the Mix You Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope some of what we said was helpful. I know that most of what Zito said is helpful, so at least take that and run with it. Um, we want to remind you of our upcoming dates. The Mix You DC is coming up September 26th, so you can sign up for it at mxu.rocks. You can follow us on social at mxurocks, and we look forward to hearing your uh, comments and your uh, response to these episodes 
and uh, we're just so grateful that you guys would take the time to listen to us. And again, eavesdrop on the conversation. That's what we do at MixU is we create a conversation and let other people listen in. So thanks for being a part of that. And uh, we can't wait to see you next time. Meanwhile, we'll look forward to seeing you in D.C.